All right, this is Arab Talk on KPOO San Francisco, 89.5 FM. This is Arab Talk with Jess and Jamal. I'm Jess Nam. And this is Jamal Dejani. Jamal, we have a really great show as usual today, but we have a lot of topics that we're going to discuss. And I'd like to start with uh, at least some happy news. Well, for I don't our know. listeners, because I'm I, not sure I think, it's happy news yet. Well, I think it's big news. So that's why, you know, I want to start with this and then we'll go to the other different topics as uh, the, the title of our show, just uh, the big news. And this happened only on Wednesday. Uh, U.S. District Judge Anthony Trenga ruled that the federal government's watch list of known or suspected terrorists is unconstitutional. The list which contains over one million people, <laughs> one million people are on that list, was, cha- uh, was challenged by CARE, and CARE you know, is the Council on American-Islamic Relations, and 23 American citizens who said that they were wrongly, wrongly placed on that list, right? Right. So, so the judge, uh, Judge Trenga, uh, ruled that the terrorist screening database and uh, TSDB, uh, known colloquially as the terrorist watch list, violated due process because there was no clear standard for people to be included or removed from the list. The list is distributed throughout the U.S. government and police agencies and sent even to foreign governments. Once on you, on, you're on that list, and I, I couldn't believe the number, actually, that you have one million people on that list. So I'm just quoting from what the judge uh, wrote in his ruling. He said that there is no evidence or contention that any of these plaintiffs satisfy the definition of a known terrorist. The, the judge also wrote that non-dangerous conduct could land someone on the list. So, so I believe, you know, starting like I said, this is a big, a big story and big news that um, that CARE was able, the organization, yeah. along with the the uh, other plaintiffs, to win this case to have this ruling. But we have to make a little bit of uh, you know distinction because. Uh, I was like initially thought, oh, this is great. It's not. Well, you're always. <laughs> it's not that great. Pessimist. I'm. I'm sorry. I'm looking. I, I'm, at, I'm looking at no. the cup half full versus but, half. Well, let's talk about the half. So, full, the, so the half full. And then we'll go to the half. You have a major ruling that this judge ruled that this this list is unconstitutional. We're talking about all these people now have the right to have their names. Uh, removed if if the if the ruling uh, holds now uh, what you're talking about not to get confused with is the no fly list that's right so people have to know what's this list this list means you know the, the what what this list means is that uh, the government just like oh they deem uh, John Doe as a um, person of interest or as a suspect, right? And they can put them on the no-fly so list. So, well, well, initially they put you on this list, so which means, and, and, and most of the time you don't know about it, right? So your name You just is, show up at the airport yeah, and they don't you, let you You're on. on that list because you are a person of, of interest to some federal agency. 
And so they have a million names, and many of them are U.S. citizens. Others are could be green card holders, could be visitors, tourists in this country, and so on, which basically gives a blanket carte blanche for federal agencies to listen to your conversation, to tap into your emails, text messages, even listen to you in your house, trail you, all kinds of things, right? That's all covered under the Patriot Act, giving the federal government a blank. And the other thing is you're not granted due process. You are, in other words, you're not served with a warrant. There is no warrant to uh, initiate this. Uh, There's no transparency in the process. There's no transparency. And then most people don't know that this is going on. And, and this is where the distinction, and I think this is a first step yes. to remove people's names from the no-flight list. So initially in this big data bank of information about one million people, I have to read through the whole thing. And by the way, at some point we'll have CARE's executive director. I've, uh, this ruling came yesterday, so it was too I'm late sure for our show. She's very busy, yeah. To, and, and she has been a guest on our show many times, uh, Zahra Billo, and she'll explain it better than us. But I was like, okay, how many of these one million are U.S. citizens versus green card holders versus just uh, tourists and whatever, other nationalities? Well, let's... Because let's, that will be big if you find out like most of them are U.S. citizens and the government is violating their First Amendment under this Patriot sure. Act and whatever. Because any, any kind of agency could say, you know... This, so this person is a person of interest, put their name on the list. So most of the people don't know that they're on this list. Now, the other part, which you said, this hasn't been taken care of yet, and I think it will be the next step, is most of these people just, the way they find out that they are on this list, they go, they to, go the to the airport, they want to fly domestically or After internationally. After they bought their ticket. They buy their ticket. They show up just like regular everyone, like thinking that they're going to go through a, yes, a routine procedure. And then they go to the airline counter and they say, I'm sorry, you can't board the plane. Why? Right. Oh, your name is on the no-flight list. Now, we've been hearing about this. Since shortly after, uh, you know, during the Bush administration, shortly after uh, 9-11, right. that you have all these people. And many of those people actually spend tens of thousands of dollars on attorney fees trying to find out initially, like, why, my, why is my name on that list? No answer. Then they spend tens of thousands of dollars and sometimes it takes two years. And then the government, even in, in most cases, I haven't actually seen a single case. I just read different things that say, oh, well, uh, there's a similar name. So, you know, like with the Arabic names, uh, uh, just like English sounding names, American names. Like if your name is John Smith, you could be your name is Muhammad Abdullah or something like this. <laughs> there, there is a million of, of people with sure. this name. So, so once they put a name that is similar to your name, you're screwed. Yeah, that's it. You can't board. And, and I've known people, actually, you know, when I was a commissioner at the uh, uh, Human, Human Rights. Rights Commission and the Immigrant Rights Commission, we used to get a lot of complaints. And then these are people who imagine just their law abiding citizens that issues because of their name was similar to another so-called terrorist or, or or someone on the watch list 
they had to go to travel to New York via Greyhound. And you know how beautiful <laughs> is our public transportation system in this country, going on buses all the way from here to New York, for example. Or, you know, or if we were in Europe, yeah, and you had something like the French TG, uh, TGV or, uh, you know, the fast trains, which we don't, then you'd say it's not a big problem. But you can't go these days to, you know, you can't go to Seattle uh, driving a car. Even we fly most of the time to LA rather than drive a car from San Francisco and so forth. So their life basically has been made uh, a misery right. because of this. That's right. But, you know, I, I, I do want to say that I think this is a good step and. You've done a really great job, Jamal, describing the half full part of this ruling. Let's talk a little bit about the, the glass being half empty. For our listeners, we put this in a, in a bit of a context. You alluded to it. After 9-11, Patriot Act is, is uh, established. It grants the government and the executive branch, Jamal, sweeping powers after 9-11 to basically surveil um, U.S. citizens to the point that they have no recourse. There's no tra there was no transparency. There was no right to appeal. Ninety-nine percent of the time, you weren't even it wasn't even known that you were being on this list and that you were being surveilled. It was basically a blanket surveillance apparatus used by the state, used by the United States, and its full power to monitor, control, and in this particular instance, deny people access to flying. Now, what this judge has done has ruled it unconstitutional, which, which is great. But let's remember a few things. Number one, it will be appealed, 100%, because this was just a circuit court ruling. It'll work its way up to, and it may have to go all the way up to the Supreme Court. So in the meantime, there is a very good chance that the government will put forth, which I think they've already done this, a stay of that ruling, an appeal of it, and will want that the program stay in place until it works its way up the appellate or appeal process. Number two, Jamal, Donald Trump has broad powers as the president of the United States, as the executive, and even with this judge's ruling, will continue to use his office as the chief executive with his, you know, surveillance and national security apparatus to continue 99% of the provisions. So on the one hand, I think this is a great first step. But in reality, what it means for the everyday person, the one million people who are on this list, there's a, still a good chance that you're going to be surveilled. Mm -hmm. There's still a good chance that if you're on this list and you go to the airport, nothing's going to change. You're going to get pulled. We have a question actually from one of our viewers that yeah. answered it on the air from uh, Joel Bahu. And uh, he's asking any way to find out if you are on the list. Well, that's a great question, Joel. As of today, because this is a ruling within the last 24 hours, there's no way you can find out. The national security apparatus is a black hole in terms of accessing this information. And I noticed the judge didn't say in his ruling that all of the data that have been collected on these one million individuals needs to be erased or returned. So, and don't get me wrong, Jamal, I think this is a good first step and we'll get uh, Zahra to come in to kind of explain what 
Care's uh, brief was about and everything, but the sad reality for the one million people who are on this list is that nothing is going to change for the immediate future. There's a good chance that the government is going to keep all this information. There's a good chance if you're on the list, you're going to stay on the list. And there's a good chance that getting off the list will be just as difficult, if not impossible, as it was. I think, I think you're absolutely right. I, I still believe that this was a, a huge victory. Potentially. And there is actually a parallel lawsuit challenging the no-fly There is. List. Yes, there is. So there is one. And I stand, and, and I have to correct something that uh, I've said earlier. Actually, the government, and this is based on the lawsuit, which, by the way, uh, we, we talked about it's a million, it's a 1.16 million people. Uh, we're on the TSDP list as of June 2017. These are the figures. And though the majority of the people or the, the majority of the watch list is made up of people not permanently living in the United States, so they could be anywhere in the world. Yes. Now we have a figure which is, and maybe they got this information through the lawsuit, that 4,600 U.S. citizens and lawful permanent residents are on the list. That's and extraordinary. So, so we have about 5,000 U.S. citizens who are on the list, and the rest, I don't know, they're all over, all over the world. I'm, as much as I think, you know, people have the right to know about who's on the list and not, I'm more concerned because this is, again, violation of the First Amendment. It takes us back to the McCarthy era and spying on and U.S. citizens. Because, as you know, the law here applies differently uh, to people abroad versus uh, U.S. citizens, but nevertheless, 4,000 or uh, 5,000 people, 4,600 people, that's a huge number. Well, it's a huge number, Jamal, if you're a U.S. citizen or if you're a permanent resident or if you have legal status to be in this country and the government is able to deny you without transparency and to deny you without due process and to deny without your knowledge or ability to kind of challenge it, your ability to act freely under the Constitution. It is a gross aberration. And what the government is not telling us, Jamal, is that the no-fly list, it, let me ask you the question, how many terrorist attacks do you think have been thwarted or stopped because of the no-fly list? I'll tell you, None. zero. Zero. Because if there was, do you think we would know about it? Do you think that uh, Donald Trump or even President Obama or the national security apparatus would, would be celebrating how efficient and effective this procedure, this process, this project has been? It actually is quite an expensive, inefficient way of engaging and protecting the, protecting the um, airspace, protecting air flight, protecting people's ability to travel freely in this country. It, it's a very expensive, in many ways, waste of time. There's other ways to do it, notwithstanding, Jamal, the fact that this judge now believes and has ruled that it may be unconstitutional. Great step. I'm glad we're talking about it. Its impact on day-to-day -day life, unfortunately, for these million people. And it's all part and parcel of the Patriot Act. Right. Patriot Act 1 and Patriot Act 2. And there are actually a whole of sub, 
a bunch of subcategories of rules and regulations that came out of this just and to just explain to our listeners who are interested in this topic because we've talked about this before and we've had incidents where many people who whose names were on the no-fly list and then they were after several thousands of dollars in attorney fees to get that removed with no apology, by the way, no explanation of whatsoever. So just to give our listeners some background, the no-fly list was created and is maintained by the U.S. federal government's terrorist screening center. That's what the the TSC uh, of people who are prohibited from boarding commercial aircraft for travel within or uh, into or out of the United States. The list also has also been used to divert aircraft away from the United States uh, airspace and... uh, that does uh, that does not have a start or end point destination within the United States. So if you have, if you are on the no fly list, and you and, fly and, over and the and United States, over they divert you. They will divert you. And the number has been kind of changing throughout the years. Uh, it started with sixteen thousand names, like uh, going back, I think, in two thousand six, and the number has been growing up, and then. The list along, there is another thing, which is the second security screening selection, which tags would-be passengers for extra inspection. So for our listeners who are wondering why when they arrive at the border control and uh, they, they are sent to a secondary screening, yes, well, their name that goes under the secondary security screening selection they they did not make the no flight list. Otherwise, let's say if you're let's say you're coming from Europe, you're traveling from Frankfurt. Like if people who have traveled from Frankfurt, they know very well that if your name is on the no fly list, tough luck. You're, you're not, not gonna, coming. You're not coming. You're not going to board the plane. So that's kind of like the highest level. The other level, uh, they let you board, but they'll mark your name to go through secondary inspection. So most people think, oh well. Maybe the agent at the border uh, control didn't like the way I looked like, or my. That, that's not all true, you know. They've already have your name in their computer to say, you know, send this guy for a secondary screening, and this is known with the initials. And this is something I'm going to share with you because I've traveled a lot, I've heard a lot of people. Guess what, ladies and gentlemen. So uh, if you are if you are boarding a plane, just and again I said this is usually is, is done at the uh, board of um, uh, you know at the airport where you're boarding. Right, coming to the United States. Coming to the United States, and so if you're boarding the plane, look at your boarding pass. It has a little mark on it. If you see four S's, I'm just saying that. I don't know if they're going to change this after this, but I know. If you see four S's, you're marked. That's basically say airport security measure. This means secondary security screening selection. That's what the four S's stand stand for. Right. So you know you're going to get stopped. Don't talk like don't don't like act like you didn't know. Now I told you. Once you see that, you're going to get stopped. You're going to get stopped, and you're going to you're going to have your bags searched again, and you're going to be asked. For questions like uh, for and yeah and then exactly 
And this kind of a segue, now let's go to the segue, because we've talked about this enough about the Palestinian student from Lebanon, which uh, this is another bit of bad news, good news, because I know you like to look at the cup half empty, Jess. I do. So I said again earlier, the this was a big victory, so I'm looking at it as the cup half full. And then the other thing is we have the student, the Palestinian student from Lebanon, who came... What, what, how, how long has it been? About three two weeks? weeks? Or, three weeks ago? Yeah, three weeks. He's back. He's in school. He's back. He started He's Harvard. enrolled at Harvard. Imagine, Jess. I mean, I mean, th- this kid must be smart, right? I mean, people here, actors and wealthy people, what, bribe and pay tens of thousands of dollars this to get guy admitted to an Ivy League school. This guy did And do this it. is at the top of the Ivy League schools. This guy comes, he's a refugee, basically. Palestinian refugee from Lebanon. So think about the selection, you know, and you know how selective Harvard is to kind of select him and to give him a full scholarship. By the way, he has a full scholarship. He's brilliant. He comes to Harvard. Uh, uh, he's, he's trying to arrive here three weeks before the classes start so he can get familiar with the campus, see, he, as, see his advisors. Guess what? He gets stopped. Maybe he didn't see it, and that's my question, is if he saw the, the SSSS on his boarding pass, he's taken to the second uh, screening, secondary screening for questioning, and they tell him, open all your bags, give us your password for your social media, for your Facebook, Twitter, etc., and then they deny him entry, according to him, and I'm saying, based on some postings that his friends posted on Facebook or what have you that were critical of the government of the United States. Hence, he gets deported. Okay, now the good news is they let him back in. Yeah, but they didn't let him back in because they said, oh, but we're sorry the, we've made a mistake. No. There was an international outcry. Right. Harvard intervened and academics all over the world intervened everything right and then so i think it was been like just a few days ago and then we learned that he's back he they've admitted him i don't know what conditions because i haven't spoken to him but hopefully we will speak to him at some point we don't want to interfere we don't want to make him a marked person but we'll find out we'll find out we'll find out what exactly happened but can i give his back on campus right and, and this is an example of the abuse. I mean, here you have a brilliant student, which I call a protege, to come from a foreign country to get admitted at an Ivy League uh, school, one of the best in the country, get a full scholarship, and get penalized. Because what? Because of the First Amendment, which people day in, day out are criticizing the United States, questioning the United States. For goodness sake, we have candidates running for president criticizing the United States and this government. But they're not Palestinians. But they are not Palestinians. And then he gets denied entry. He has no criminal history of whatsoever. And, well, and now, no apology again. And there won't be it's an just apology. Like someone worked behind the scenes, and I know this is the influence of Harvard that graduated many of our good senators, including presidents and the Kennedys, and you name it. We can go down the list. 
someone, a big shot or several of those big shots apparently intervened in his back. And I'm thankful. I'm not going to I'm not going to actually question what happened because I want but this, I am. I want this young man and I'll tell you I why. want this young man to succeed. But I'll tell you why, Jamal. I'll tell you why that I have concerns. Were it not for the fact that Harvard intervened, let's say this young Palestinian refugee was accepted to a lesser school. Uh, let's say Columbia. That's a joke, by the way. That's, for, that's a joke against you because you went to Columbia. But you could pick any university. Are you trying to say that I'm brilliant? <laughs> uh, um, as, as, a, as an Ivy League grad. No, what I'm trying to say is that the, I'm concerned that the... Go Lions. I'm concerned, really, that the only reason this young man, this Palestinian refugee, was allowed back into the United States was because of elite power intervening. It was. But what about all the other students who get accepted to universities or colleges that are not big names well, and well, that are denied? Well, no, but well, let me we just know say, there is a major drop in the number no, of foreign but, students that we I, have in this country. Yeah, but I want to tell you that a Pakistani young man Two days ago, Jamal was stopped at the, he was admitted also to a university here in the United States. He was stopped because of the four S's. He gave up his cell phone and his laptop. There were negative posts on his Facebook feed, and he too was denied. Now, he's not going to Harvard. I'm not sure what school he was supposed to be going to. Maybe we'll find it out before the show ends today. But this is a policy. Just because they let this young Palestinian man in and he started Harvard, which is great, the policy remains, Jamal. It still remains the power of this government to deny people who have valid legal means to enter this country and attend university here to exercise its state power to deny them entry because of their faith, the country of origin, I mean, Pakistan, Lebanon, majority Muslim countries. Um, this is part of the Trump agenda, Jamal, the Trump Muslim ban. Uh, by the way, Lebanon is not on the ban list. Okay. But nevertheless, nevertheless he's, he's Palestinian. And yeah, he's still, he's on the bad, on the barred ethnic group or racial group, whatever group you want to call it. He happens to be Palestinian and a refugee. This... Glass half empty, Jamal, I'm afraid, is a more on the glass. Ha uh, glass half full is more on the side of the glass half empty because this policy continues unchallenged. And as I said, were it not for, you know, elite power at Harvard, you know, calling attention to this, there's a good chance that this young man would still be in Lebanon and denied entry into Harvard or whatever other university, you know, he would have gotten into. I think... You know, good news, bad news. I'm still on the side that there's a whole lot of bad news going on with the uh, with these kinds of events. You're listening to Arab Talk on KPOO San Francisco 89.5 FM. We also welcome our viewers on Facebook Live. And so I want to switch gears here uh, and catch up with some of the uh, recent news, Jess, and... Uh, one of your favorite subjects, Jason Greenblatt, and he's the 
the ar- one of the architects or one of the envoy. designers of Trump's Middle East no, peace Jamal. plan. The plan of the century, please. And the, and the, well, yeah, well, it's the entire, this is the plan of the, the middle, century. The Middle East plan of the century. You know, the deal Kush- of the century. Deal, the Kushner-Greenblatt-Trump. So anyway, he is leaving the administration. This is uh, a big announcement, of course, uh, but for those people who don't know Jason Greenblatt. Uh, Greenblatt, he is also for many, many years Donald Trump real estate lawyer. Right. So he's leaving. He's leaving. Uh, this is an announcement. Uh, Greenblatt has worked closely on the deal of the century and closely with uh, Mr. Trump's son in law, Jared Kushner, since early 2017 to design what Mr. Trump has called the ultimate deal or deal of the century. And so their secretive plan has been delayed for several months. And now they've also made another delay saying they're not going to release the details of the deal of the century because they don't want to interfere in the Israeli elections, which uh, are uh, uh, they're going to happen on September, September 17th. 17th. That's coming up. That's a which couple of weeks. Basically, would determine the fate of the Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu, who's as we know, his buddy buddy with President Trump and Jason Greenblatt and Jared and Kushner. Jared Kushner. And he brags about when he used to visit the United States when he wasn't Prime Minister. He used to sleep in J- in Jared Kushner's bed in their house in New Jersey. I'm not going to comment and I'm not, on this. I'm not making this up, but this is how close this relationship. So now um, Greenblatt will remain on the job in the coming few days. Uh, but anyway, he pretty much uh, announced the news that... Uh, but I have good news. His advi- one of Kushner's advisors... Yes, will be the new Avi, his name is Avi Berkowitz. Yes, Avi Berkowitz. He will become more involved. They didn't name him as the replacement yet, but they said he will be more involved in the process. And so will Brian Hook, the State Department Special Representative for Iran. And Mr. Hook has already worked closely on the Israel-Palestinian file, uh, part of this ad- administration. So there is something, I mean, I mean, these are, he's one of the architects and he's leaving. Well, I and think, uh, so far, and yet we have to kind of hear about this fantastic deal of the century, which one of the main components of this deal, the Palestinians, uh, they're not on board. Well, I was really surprised and glad to hear about the list of replacements and it's so delightful to hear, Jamal, that they're involving the Palestinians and other diverse opinions on... No, you've been too cynical. Let's, <laughs> let's, let's explain. The, well, my, my, my cynicism, Jamal, comes from a number of uh, places. As we've said multiple times on this show, there is no deal of the century. There will be no deal of the century. This deal will not be released ever because even after Benjamin Netanyahu's election in September 2017, there's no guarantee, number one, he will win. And even if he does win, he will run into the same problem, Jamal, of not being able to form a government. If he's unable to form a government, the whole government collapses again, which is the most likely scenario. 
And if he's not elected or the government collapses, there will be no deal. Even if he's elected and forms a government, there will be no deal because the deal is not a deal. The deal does not involve any Palestinians, Jamal. We've said this a million times. They've released half of the deal of the century, which is called the economic plan. But again, what's missing and what they don't want to reveal to anybody is the fact of the political end, which means continuation of the settlements, no resolution of the right of return, no autonomy for Palestinians, no independent Palestinian state, all the things that are 100% deal breakers for the deal of the century. Can we just call this what it is, Jamal, a charade? Is this not a charade? Why is Jason Greenblatt leaving? Let me tell you, let me give you some theories that have been floated out in the press. Friction with Jared Kushner, number one on the list. That's what I was going to ask you because... Number one? I was trying to read if they've made any explanation, and they've just had like statements from different be- people, including, by the way, Benjamin Netanyahu. He was great. We wish him well, blah, blah, blah. It was an honor to work with him. But not a single word about the reasons behind why well, and you notice is that he not- leaving. And nothing came from the Kushner uh, office. Uh, and if it's not random that the person that's going to take uh, Jason Greenblatt's position is going to be Jared Kushner's right-hand man, Avi Berkowitz. Number two, uh, Jason Greenblatt, uh, for two years now, has been making $180,000 a year in his position as special envoy for Donald Trump. And word, some of the speculation has been on the street that this is a significant loss of income and money for Jason Greenblatt, who has a family that's still living in New York, and he's living in Washington, D.C. So it may be economically driven also. I doubt that's it. Chance- I mean, he's a big big attorney, right? Yeah, he's got- uh, real estate, he makes much more than 180K. Yeah, I mean, that's, but he's made his money. He's independently wealthy already, whatever. The most likely scenario is that he himself sees the writing on the wall clashes with Jared Kushner, it's time for him to go back to New York. The bigger picture, Jamal, is that nothing is going to happen with uh, peace in Palestine. Nothing is going to happen with the deal of the century. The peace plan is dead with or without Jason Greenblatt. I think, I think this is the point. Everything else, like I can see uh, he's leaving for financial reasons. He's not well paid. But I think he's being too smart not to go down with the sinking ship. Like everybody else. And like everybody else. Because the Trump administration's so-called peace plan, deal of the century, whatever you want to call it, is already failing. And And he knows it. And he knows and he doesn't want to wait to sink with the ship because he knows he's an insider. He knows they have nothing. And maybe he's looking, who knows, everyone has some motives, maybe has political motives in the future or what have you. And he doesn't want to go down in history as a failure. Back in June, if you remember, Kushner unveiled the first economics-focused part of the peace plan at the conference in Bahrain, Bahrain. and they played it, and we heard about it. They, They pretty much had the whole marching band all singing praises for that economic conference because after all Palestinians don't need need land they don't need independence they just need a couple of dollars and everybody will be singing 
you know, kumbaya yeah. and holding hands with them. And guess what? They failed. They failed miserably. Even even the optics of that conference were a disaster. Were a disaster. Right. So they tried to put as much as a you know great look into it, and they said the administration claimed that they will get the Palestinians fifty billion dollars in new investments, and then we read about these investments. Half of them are going to Egypt and Lebanon and what have you. But at the end of the day, the Palestinians will be left with like something like twenty billion dollars. Which anyway, they're receiving more than this. They received more than this from Japan and other and the EU and other. European countries, and they've already told them. So I'm giving him credit of being smart. I'm not giving him credit for being smart because he actually wasted the taxpayers' money on right. this nonsense. But I'm giving him credit, personal credit, that he knows what he's doing. And he knows that if he hitches his wagon with Donald Trump and Jared Kushner, they're go they are going to drag him down the gutter with them. Okay. And and that's why he's jumping ship. Sure. And you know, there's more evidence for that theory, Jamal, because just in the last month, the number of Republican Congress people and even senators now who have decided not to run again in 2020 has increased to 20 plus. So you see in the House, at least on the congressional side, the number of Republicans who said, I'm, I'm done, I'm not going to run again for re-election come 2020, has increased during the August break. And what happened during the August break, by the way, these re uh, congressional Republicans went back to their home districts and they got an earful from their constituency. They realized that there's no way they're going to get elected. They've decided they're not going to run. Even one of the most senior senators, Senator Sensenbrenner, um, has decided that he's not going to be running for re-election too. So what you see, Jamal, is that large numbers of Republicans, large numbers of people, large, I mean, there's the list of people who've abandoned the Trump uh, orbit is growing by leaps and bounds. Jason Greenblatt may, in fact, be smart enough to realize, as you said, that the political writing is on the wall. There's no deal. And let me ask you a question, Jamal. If you believed politically and diplomatically you were on the verge of doing a um, history-altering event, would you leave? No. After putting, because exactly. <laughs> after putting two I mean, years in it? Look, look, when they talk about, let's say, so-called successful peace treaties, when you think of Camp David, who do you think of? President Carter, Anwar Sadat, Anwar Sadat Menachem Begin. Menachem Begin. Right. They've actually received the Nobel Peace Prize. All three of them. All yeah. three of them. So whether you're a critic of this or not, they'll go down in, in history. This is actually President Carter's biggest achievement. Right. And if you know, if you're confident, but you're absolutely right. If you're confident, this is like betting on a... Losing horse, you know, he knew he's very smart. He's an attorney, he's a real estate attorney. Real estate attorneys also, they're famous for speculating and whatever. He knew and he knows today that he had zero chance of advancing the so-called deal of the century one inch. Which means his credibility. Which is cre his credibility his on the reputation. line. And then guess what? He has more to lose. 
He's not a billionaire. Yeah, he's a, he's 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 well to do. He's a he's a well known attorney. Right. right. He's no Donald Trump. He has a Trump Tower and I don't know what and billions. He's not even Jared Kushner who can go back to what Daddy left him in investments to manage. He has to go back to his credibility, which is, you know, what he has his latest achievement. And you know something? You're as as good as your last act. And if his last act was the sinking ship, which it will be, which it will be, he didn't want to see his name in writing. So you're 100% correct about this. And that's, by the way, that's the, that's the reason uh, Mattis left his position also as defense secretary. I mean, here you have, you know, a multi-star general who basically, and he's been giving interviews lately. So keeping in line with people jumping ship, uh, General Mattis, you know, has been talking for the first time recently in this last I, few days. You know days. what? But I'm, I'm disappointed with him. I mean, oh. he wrote a book. He served Donald Trump. And I understand this whole mentality. Maybe I don't understand it too well. You know, being part of the military and, and, and you never criticize the commander in chief. But he knows a lot. I mean, he knows why he left. Right. And so he goes on these interviews and say, okay, let's hear him out, see. He won't do it. He won't do it. He said, well, Donald Trump is a different kind of president. <laughs> what do you mean? He's different? We know that. It's a different kind of president. I'm, I'm paraphrasing. But he's not giving you. I mean, so why are you going on these speaking engagements, promoting Well, a we book know why. To, when to, you to are make money. Just to make money and you right. give me nothing? Well, I'm it, sorry. Yeah. Don't, and he said, I'll talk about this later on. So, no, so no. in his mind, I'm not going to criticize a sitting president until the damage is done. We know why. Right. We know Afghanistan is one of the reasons because he knows that this is another losing cause and we are losing soldiers and, and, and actually just this past week, uh, Americans were killed in Afghanistan. No, just yesterday. And so he basically is not happy with the decisions and how this administration, and he's like the Secretary of Defense. It should be his decision. He served in the military, and he's not happy, but he's not willing to actually say why. And yeah. I've, and for, for this, I, th I think that's a big mistake. No, I agree. In fact, Christiane Amanpour asked him directly, you know, why don't you come clean and really tell the American public? If this is a crisis, it's your obligation yes. as a citizen to tell yes. us, and he refused to do it's it. It's national security, right. and if we are going to be putting national security at risk, you owe the American public, you know, at least the information to say, well, what can we do? What, what have we been doing wrong? And how can we correct this? Yeah. And he's not doing this. You're listening to Arab Talk on KPOO San Francisco, 89.5 FM. And I want to talk a little bit with a few minutes wait, left. Wait, I have one thing I want to talk about. Well, okay. Just one, one quick thing. It's related to Mattis and Afghanistan. We have been getting some comments because we tend not to talk about Afghanistan. I want to spend just two minutes talking about Afghanistan because... I think it's important. Well, yeah, there's another deal of the century, Jamal, having to do with the peace plan between the Taliban and the United States. It is on the brink of falling apart after years of negotiation between the, uh, essentially between the State Department and Donald Trump and the Taliban. Uh, in Qatar, by the way, um, uh, Mike Pompeo, the Secretary of State, yesterday refused to sign the final deal off. 
uh, at the last minute. So it looks like the second deal of the century having to do with the peace plan with that. And this is clear. This is the point that I kind of want to make. This is not a peace plan with the people of Afghanistan. This is a peace truce with the Taliban in Afghanistan. And so the reason that it's falling apart, I've had people who are very knowledgeable about this situation, Jamal, who happen to be Afghan expats who are furious about this because all of these negotiations have not included the duly elected government of uh, Afghanistan, have not included the intellectuals, you know, the intellectual elite in Afghanistan. In other words, they've left the Afghan people Hank. out of hanging in on this process. This is a deal just with the Taliban. And if the United States and the Taliban agree to a, quote, peace plan, what Afghan nationals worry about if the United States leaves, and I'm not, I'm not saying they shouldn't leave, believe me, I mean, enough with Afghanistan, but the way in which they could leave could really be a disaster. So this is a disaster for Afghans. This is a disaster for the United States. And breaking news, we have another failed deal of a peace process going on. And thank you for uh, actually explaining this because you're right, we haven't spent uh, much time. We should, we should And spend. we should actually have uh, experts. And I should say also that I've been to Afghanistan, I've been to you Kabul. You know that situation. I know this situation. And I can tell you one thing in short. We should have never gone into never. Afghanistan. This is a lose-lose now situation where, okay, the damage has been done. How to withdraw from there because nothing's going to happen. And as far as, you know, a benefit for the United States. It isn't there. It's not there. So I want to have spent the last 10 minutes talking about something that I've spent the entire day monitoring <laughs> and watching. And which was that? interesting, which is basically the uh, our candidates uh, town hall, climate town hall. Oh, yeah. Climate town yeah, hall. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. I've actually got into it that I've actually listened to every single one of them. And I know. Wait a minute. You listened to I've, seven hours. I've listened to every single one. And I know you care about the environment. And after all, we are in San Francisco. We are in California. This is uh, an existential threat. It's, it's one of the most important things. And I wanted to know their positions on the environment. Summarize it. I'll summarize it because I also graded them. You did? I did. I graded them. So I, so I want to go with my grading. Okay. And I will summarize it. And num number one, let me say. Who got an A? The... Anyone out there was 100%, 200% better than the Trump administration on the environment. Okay. So let me just kind of start by this, that saying, if anyone kind of adheres to what they were saying, we will be 100, 200% better off than what we have now as far as the environment and the policies of this, uh, this, this administration. That's really roll, rolling back the clock. So here are... Well, this is what I saw, and I okay, tried to well, be as I tried to be as uh, neutral as possible. Who's the A plus? And so there is no A plus. It's A down to see. Okay, uh, who's you know, A? No one got an F, but A is Bernie Sanders. Really? Yeah. A is Bernie Sanders from A to Z on everything that he said, everything that he had plans for. Every I hate when people put unrealistic goals. What goals? How can we shift our resources? 
how should we transition into driving electric cars? How should we transition into solar and so forth? So I would say Bernie San Sanders is like, oh, wow, this is really great. If Bernie Sanders gets elected, he is an A. Okay, I want to know. A minus. No, wait. Close one. No, before A minus, I want to know who got the low. Let's go to the extremes first. Who got the worst grade? In my book? Yeah. Cory Booker. Oh, Mr. Nuclear. Yeah, yeah. In my book, it just, he didn't make sense. A lot of the stuff is just like hot talk. Yeah, we're going to do this. We're going to do that. He wasn't prepared. I was, the way I was looking at it, it's not like what you can promise. It's what you can deliver. Like if you are, and I looked at it in a period of four years. You know, the elections four years. I can't guarantee that you're going to be in office for eight years. But what can you deliver to the American public in four years? Cory Booker got a C. So he's a passing grade. He's better than Donald Trump. I don't know but if he C got is a passing. C. C, I gave him a, a passing grade. Elizabeth Warren came as an A minus. She, she, uh, I think that was very close her ideas to Bernie Sanders, uh, but uh, some stuff that she said I didn't like. Like and, what? And, like and, and, and uh, anything in particular? You know, well, she wasn't really. She didn't have a very well defined plan. Like you know, like when Bernie Sanders talked, like, oh yeah, it makes sense. It makes sense. Yeah, we could do this. It's doable. It's doable. You know that kind of thing. Then uh, Beto O'Rourke B plus, Kamala Harris is B plus, Joe Biden is a B. Really? Julian Castro is a B minus, Pete uh, Puttigieg a B minus, Andrew Yang B minus. Wow. Amy. Klobuchar, uh, C plus, and Cory Booker is a C. You know, you're a tough grader, man. So those were my <laughs> grades, and I listened intently. You as are just a tough like grader. an average person you who knows something grader. about the environment and who can deliver. And this is, again, this is very important because this is an important component of the next elections. Like well, we, I think that's a really good uh, grading scheme, Jamal. I I, I didn't listen to all seven hours. I just read analyses of each of the candidates. The only, th uh, I think I would agree with you by and large. I might have, there's a little nuance in there. I know what Elizabeth Warren did was basically take Governor Inslee's, you know, uh, plan and basically adopted that as her plan and whether or not, you know, that was truly unique in her contribution. I could understand why you gave her an A minus. The advantage to Bernie Sanders, obviously, it's something that's doable, as you say, and I think that will appeal to a lot of, of voters. The biggest disappointment for me was, in fact, Joe Biden. I mean, this is a guy who's out in front. He's leading of all the Democratic candidates. He's the one that's uh, in the lead by double digits over Elizabeth Warren, as well as Bernie Sanders. So he's way ahead, and yet he gives us a, kind of a lukewarm Plan One thing that really disappointed uh, me and him is when he was asked by a, uh, a professor, I think from Columbia University, yes. who, who focuses on the environment, and said if he had anyone on his staff with the, the science, like a scientist yeah, about the, the environment, he couldn't name one. Like you have, you're the lead, and you don't have someone who's dedicated scientist. to bring you scientific input not just like you know and right. and this was like oh what are you talking about he like he really didn't bring that into kind of but still he had other ideas i you know like even some stuff like andrew yang he was impressive because he has a scientific mind and you know he talked about his father who has a phd in physics and right but then 
I'm not that comfortable with his solution vis-a-vis, for example, going nuclear. As much as I think there are ways to kind of, uh, you know, uh, make people safe. Right. But we're not there. We're not there yet. We, we've seen what's happening in Russia. And these nuclear reactors that we have in this country have been there since the 60s. Right. And so if you don't upgrade and we have, God forbid, like something like Three Mile Island, what are you going to do? Well, I think that's a really good – I think you're a tough grader, Jamal, but I think that's fair. Uh, we only have a minute left, so I want to end with a report out of The Guardian. I want to go back to this ongoing disaster world catastrophe in the world right now, which is what's happening in Yemen. Mm-hmm. A report came out by The Guardian this week suggesting that there's enough evidence right now – that the United States, UK, and French may have colluded with UAE and, and Saudi Arabia in committing war crimes in Yemen. So, and it appears from everything that we've been able to get about what's happening in Yemen that there are war crimes. Well, we know that you have war crimes. Yeah. I mean, if you name someone, you could name Saudi Arabia quickly because we've seen the effect right. of the bombs on children. It, it, and, I think and it's the UAE school. and Saudi Arabia. But we're now seeing the complicity, Jamal, of, of the European powers and the United States actively engaging with these war crimes that are being committed by Saudi Arabia and the UAE. It's really disturbing. This reporting is not anywhere. We, none of the candidates have been asked, the Democratic no. candidates. They mention Syria. They don't mention Yemen, by no the way. No one mentions Yemen anymore. Yeah. This is a disaster. And no one is holding Saudi Arabia accountable. The Congress and the Senate actually passed something to not sell more arms to Saudi Arabia, but Donald Trump vetoed that. So I think we're going to spend a little more time as, as, as the shows in the future go, Jamal. We should spend a little bit more time both on Afghanistan and on Yemen. And uh, on this note, just I agree with you 100%, but we're running out of time. This is another show, another Arab talk on KPOO San Francisco 89.5 FM. We encourage you to go to our website, arabtalkradio.com, for all of our archived uh, videos and audios. They're there. Talk to you next week. We'll see you next week.